Welcome to Promised Land at Home Podcast, where we bring people into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and each other. Wherever life has you, we pray that today's sermon both challenges and encourages you. We're so glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy the message. Hallelujah. 35 years ago, I was baptized when I was 12, 47 now. August 24th, 1988, I was baptized into Jesus' name and then received this baptism of the Holy Spirit a few years later. And it's been a great weekend. And uh, I think we've baptized 42 people already today. And every one of those people matter to God. The Bible says that when one person, one person is saved that the angels throw a party. We've already had 42 parties in heaven. And we're going to have a lot more parties today on earth and in heaven. You're in an environment right here that is very special and unique. It is the presence of God, and it's not, it's really not even the music or the beat or the lyrics. It's the presence of God. And I believe that in a moment with God, that that can change your life. One moment with God can change your life forever. Of course, when we surrender our heart to him for the first time and we repent of our sins and we're ushered into a relationship with God through the blood and power of Jesus. Obviously, that's a moment. That's a that's an eternal moment. But there's other times when maybe you're freed from an addiction or you're physically healed or a neighbor of yours comes to Jesus or a friend of yours receives something. Or, um, sometimes you just need a comf- confirming word from God and he he gives you confirmation of something that you need and you know people can tell you things but when God tells you something you just know it you just feel it and you don't need any more counsel (laughs) because God has confirmed it to you and so our church is really shifting and I don't know if you can sense it but we're shifting into something uh, like this, okay? <laughs> and I've missed this. And uh, just so thankful you're part of it. And thank you for coming later today. Some of you wake up late, so this is the early service for you. <laughs> but some of you made a choice to come later instead of at the 10. At the 10 o'clock, there was literally not one seat available. You probably sensed that when you were driving in. They were trying to get out. You are trying to get in. I want to remind you, please, don't leave the Holy Spirit in the room when you get into your car. Take, take the Lord with you as you're trying to get out of the parking lot because a spirit of anger can come upon <laughs> drivers. We don't, need, we don't need road rage out here. We are, we are expanding the parking lot over the next couple of weeks. We have construction folks coming out with some machinery to open up some space 
some, some parking, some alleviate some of the stress of parking. So that's on the way. On Easter, we're expanding to six services on Easter, Friday night, Saturday, and then four on Sunday. 7, 15, 8, 30, 10, 11, 30. And then Friday and Saturday will both be at 6 p.m. So pick a Sunday, pick a Saturday, pick a Friday. It's going to be awesome. I want to start today with a little story. I say start. It's, I've already started, but um, 1300 B.C., the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, and uh, God gave them victory over the Canaanites. It was a big deal. And you would think that if, some, if God gave you victory over an opponent, you would be loyal and faithful to him the rest of your life. But the Israelites are human. <laughs> and uh, we can criticize the Israelites because of their stupidity and their flakiness. But we're no different, okay? We are just as human and flaky and all that. And so... They were flaky. They began to complain against God. They said, you know, we should have just stayed in Egypt. We could have just been happy where we were and we're, we're eating all this manna that we just, we don't like. We're sick of manna. And uh, complaining against God and being frustrated with the journey and patient, complaining. So God said, if you want to live that way, then I'll turn you over to that. And as a result, snakes came and began to bite them in their camp, poisonous snakes. And many of them got sick. Some of them died. And it woke them up. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. sorry, God, sorry. Moses, please tell God to take these snakes away. And God didn't take the snakes away, but he did give them salvation. Very interesting story. Instead of God just saying, Snakes are dead. They all die. He says, I want you to take a snake and put it on a pole in the middle of the village, in the middle of this camp. And if you put the snake up on the pole, anyone who follows this and looks to the snake will be saved from the venom that's inside of them. And so if you're faithful to the word of God and you obey the word of God and you look up to the serpent that's on the pole, you will not be a victim of the snakes any longer. The venom of the snakes will not harm you. It is that story that Jesus is referring to in this text that leads up to probably the most famous verse in the world, John 3:16. We're going to start with John 3, 14. This is the words of Jesus. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is speaking about himself and his role and his mission. To be raised up on a pole himself, just as this serpent was 
elevated up onto a pole, and the people who looked upon the serpent on the pole were saved from the venom. What Jesus is saying is that I am going to be lifted up on a pole. I am going to lose my life, and everyone who looks to me will be saved from the venom of sin that's in their life. Again, we can be so critical of these people because of their sin and their rebellion, but we are the same way. We have sinned. We make mistakes all the time. We're rebellious. We do things that are not according to God's plan, God's will. We call that sin. It's when we take our life and focus it on our own self-preservation or elevation, trying to make a name for ourselves. And we act out because we don't trust in God. We act out on ourselves, And that sin is like venom inside of us that will ultimately kill us and separate us from God forever and ever. And what Jesus is saying here is that there is a plan of salvation. He's waving his hand. I'm the plan. I'm going to be raised up. In John 12, he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He's talking about the way he was going to die up on the cross. And we see these parallels all throughout the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that is in the Old Testament and every method and every process in the Old Testament. Jesus is that fulfillment. Pastor Bobby illustrated this beautifully the last couple of days in our uh, little mini conference we had on the Holy Spirit. But we see it right here. Jesus actually literally quoting the, what happened in Numbers 21 and saying, I am now going to my death. I am going to be impelled upon a pole and lifted up in front of the whole world and put your eyes on me. Look to me. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your job. Don't look to your marriage. Don't look to your ability to, to make good grades or to, to succeed or have people like you or marry that person or have kids or have the perfect family. Don't, don't look to all that stuff. Look to me. Come on, up here, up here, up here. That's what Jesus is saying. Come on, people. Look to me. Look to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to take our place of separation from God. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, Jesus. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact Everybody look at this fact up here on the screen. It is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Jesus, this beautiful text about, for God so loved the world, it is a beautiful text. It is awesome. It's the good news. But at the same time, Jesus is bringing this into a sobering reality of a dichotomy. There is good and there is evil. There is light and there is darkness. There is love and there is hate. And you're on one side or the other. Everything comes from these two sources, either darkness or light, love or hate, everything. Jesus is saying that. And he's saying that his light came into the world, but people actually loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. 
I don't know of anybody in here today, maybe one or two would admit, hey, I'm evil. I do things that are evil. I love the darkness more than the light. Most people don't say that. Most people are living in this gray area between the light and the dark. They're living in this murky space between love and hate. And they're living in actions that they know it's not quite the way Jesus or God would want us to live. But it's really, I mean, it's not darkness. It's not hate. I'm not like that. Jesus says it's either one or the other. It's either one or the other. You're either looking to me, Jesus, up on the pole of my sacrifice and the work I've done for you. That's what you're focusing in on and, and attentive to, and that's what your allegiance is, is drawn towards. Or, I hate to say it, but it's darkness, and it comes from hate. Hate is such a strong word, but ultimately that is the, that is the opposite of love. It's the opposite of light. And Jesus is very clear that everything God does comes from love. Even the snakes that he allowed to come into the camp happened because he loved them. And he wanted them to repent. He didn't want, th- he didn't want Adam and Eve to be kicked out of the garden. He didn't want other humans to have to deal with the consequence of their sin. He didn't, that's the last thing that God wants. So that's why he keeps coming to us and saying, look to me. Look to me. This is the answer to life. This is the answer to your peace and the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, all of those things. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than their light for their actions were evil. Verse 20. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Some of you have come from a difficult week, troubling week, heavy week. When you believe in Jesus, this earth that you live on is the only hell you will ever know. It only gets better, okay? For those people that are not trusting in Jesus, this world that we live in is the only heaven that they will ever know. There is light right now that is shining forth on everybody, whether they believe in Jesus or not. There's love that everybody experiences on this planet right now, whether they believe in Jesus or not. God's here. God's presence is here. Whether you're submitted to him or not, you get benefits of receiving some of that love of God and some of that Uh, light from God. But what happens when we die is that is the separation, the complete separation happens, and there is no more light. There is no more love. None of that is available. So here's here's the bottom line right here. What I'm calling you today into the good news of Jesus Christ is you can look to him and you can, instead of, instead, of, instead of just dabbling in the light or dabbling in the love of Jesus, you can actually be surrendered to the light. You can be surrendered to the love of Jesus. And he can begin to move in your life and, and change it in so many ways. Je- the power of Jesus is that he went to the cross. He was raised up on the cross in front of everybody, raised up so that we can put our eyes on him. And he was in a place of separation right there. Whoever's impaled on the cross dies And whoever beholds the cross lives 
So all of us that are bearing witness and beholding the Lamb of God slain for the world, he is in a place of separation in his death and his burial. That is the place where Jesus is literally separated for three days from God, taking our place of ultimate separation so that you and I could be with God forever and ever in eternity. That's the gospel of Jesus, that we can trust in him and believe in Jesus, and we can have what he earned, which was eternity with God forever and ever. Love is the motivational factor of God. It's the driving force that causes God to do everything that he does. Love is the driving force for God and from God. The Greek word of love there's several different Greek words used in the Bible for love. Phileo is one. That's brotherly love. Eros is one. That is romantic types of love. This word here is agape. Agape love is this fullness, this most intimate relationship of love between God and his creation. Agape means to be full of good will and then exhibit that goodwill. So you're full of goodwill, and then you exhibit that goodwill. You don't just bottle it up, but you let it go. That's what God's love for us is, to have preference for. He prefers us to wish us well. He loves you. He agape loves you. He wishes you well. To regard the welfare of. He's regarding your welfare. He cares about you. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says, cast your cares on him. Because he cares for you. He's a trustworthy God. He's a good God. And he agape love you. He loves you to this depth and this richness. Because he has this good will and he's exhibiting it towards you. This is what we're receiving when he surrenders his life and is separated from God on the cross. Hate. So love is a motivational factor for God. Hate is our ungodly response when we're self-focused. And, you know, hate is such a heavy word. You know, parents are like, don't use the word hate. That's good. I hate you. That's, that's, not, that's not nice. It is not nice. But I think we need to be real with ourselves and be sober-minded to the idea that there could be some hate in me. There could be some darkness in me that I'm not aware of. And maybe I'm participating in some things or acting out on some things that are full because I'm full of pride and I'm trying to make a name for myself, make my life easier, make my life more comfortable, whatever it is. Like, my goal is to either get my finances to a certain place or my relationships to a certain place or, you know, my career to a certain place, get that degree, whatever it is, like pushing, pushing, pushing. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes our focus, all of a sudden we are giving space to hate. Ah, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds really, really harsh. But Jesus is declaring I, he, what he's saying. I believe he's saying clearly is that when our eyes have gone from him to ourself, we've gone from a posture of love being our motivation to ourself being our motivation. And darkness is beginning to creep in. From love comes help, generosity. For God so loved the world that he 
what? Gave. He gave. He's a giver because he loves you. He gives to you. He's a generous God. He's a helpful God. He's a generous God. From love comes affection. From love comes redemption. From hate comes manipulation. Self-centeredness, harm, pride, taking things, theft, you know, disregard for other people. That's the fully acted out expression of hate. So I want you to ask yourself today, this is really something I want us all to really be introspective about, and that is this, do I love the light? Do I love the light? And here's maybe a more helpful question. Do I hate darkness? Is there anything about un- godly living that I don't hate, my call to you today is come to the light. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on the one who is full of love. Be saved from hate. Be committed to love and the light. The very next verse after Jesus shares this powerful message about light, dark, love, hate, that he came to be lifted up. If we put our eyes on him, we'll be saved. John 3, 22, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there. What? Some of y'all can't read. Come on, what was he doing? Yeah, he's baptizing people. Baptizing people. This is such a beautiful, uh, this, this verse is one of those that's like, it's got so much in it. And when, and when we get to heaven, we get to just speak to Jesus face to face. I'm like, could you go into 22? Could you go into John 3? This is, I want to, what was it like for y'all just hanging out in the countryside? You know, they're in the countryside, they're hanging out, they're just doing the work of God. It really feels like promised land culture right now. Where we're just, we're loving, we're, we're living, we're doing life, and, and today we're baptizing people. We're just like, come on into the family. This is part of, this is part of your movement into seeing Jesus. Like, um, faith is such an ambiguous thing. Faith is hard to wrap our head around. We have, a, we have faith. We have a measure of faith. We have mustard seed size faith, whatever. Um, this is our trust in Jesus, our belief in Jesus. And it's hard to wrap our head around. James, in the second chapter, James says, if you have that faith but you have no works, your faith is actually dead. So you need to have some, for lack of a better word, proof that you actually have faith. And the proof is that you're actually walking out in obedience what God is calling you to. And don't get the cart before the horse. Don't try to do things in order to be saved, to have faith. Don't, don't think that your works are going to create your faith. Yeah, you start with, I believe in you, Jesus. Okay, be water baptized. Well, uh, <laughs> baptism is the very first step of obedience that us as believers get to participate, putting a step of actual obedience behind our faith. Yes, I believe, and I will do what you say, Jesus. I'm ready to follow you. And uh, it's a simple thing. 
And so we have water, and we have people that will baptize you. We're going to pray for everybody. And um, it's a beautiful thing. We, Like I said, we baptized 42 people already today, and every single one of them had a special moment with God. It was it was beautiful and and lovely. And um, it, it it is this moment where you as a human being step into the story. Stepping into the waters of baptism is this place where they actually baptize all throughout the Old Testament. And when Jesus and John the Baptist came, now it's a new baptism. We're rebaptizing you into this new level of faith and trusting in Jesus. And uh, so I'm going to read a couple of scriptures about this, and then we're going to worship and we're going to have baptism right now. If you have come here today and you weren't planning on being baptized, but you feel like God's calling you to be baptized today, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that you're going to step into these waters and be baptized into the fullness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then the name of Jesus is going to be called out over you, the name of Yeshua, the name. Uh, Acts 4 says there is no other name given unto men by where we must be saved uh, so it is at the name of Jesus that demons tremble and angels rejoice and all of this. So this is going to happen today, okay? Uh, but the, the incredible thing about baptism is that it is n- not, the power is not in the water, okay? That's not holy water that we brought in on a boat from Israel and, you know, like a glow. The water's just from the Edwards Aquifer, okay? And it's just water. The strength of the baptism, the power of the baptism is not in the baptizer, okay? There's pastors, we're going to pray for you, we're going to lay hands on you, we're going to believe with you, we're going to baptize you physically, where you go completely immersed in the water and come back out of that water. And um, the the symbol of, of us doing that and the water and the person doing it is not where the power. The power comes when you as a human being Put your faith in Jesus, and then you get into the water, and you say, Jesus, I'm yours. I don't understand everything. I I still have a lot of questions, but I'm ready. I'm ready to live for you. I'm ready for the journey. So I give you my heart today in this water. When you do that, when you have a uh, that that humble heart, you say, "Jesus, I'm ready." Like a little kid, like I just I want innocence back. I want my naivety back. I want I want my my purity back, my righteousness back, my holiness. There's some people that I prayed for uh, the last couple of days. We had this conference and we prayed for people. And even this morning, as I was praying for people, I just sense that there's so many people that have layers of past on them. It's that venom. Of the snake is in you. And oh man, I'm here to tell you that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all the sin of your life. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all the sin of other people that have caused you to hurt. Some of you have been hurt by other people. We've been betrayed and abused by other people. I'm here to tell you, don't have to live in that any longer. You're going to be buried. The Bible says in Romans 6 that you are buried with Christ in baptism. And that when you're under the water, it's just a second, you know, we're going to bring you right back out. But that's a symbol of the old person dying. The old person is dying in a watery grave and then brought back out to life just as Jesus rose from the dead. 
the same spirit is going to raise your mortal body out of that water and out of the grave. And that's what's happening over there is that there is this beautiful union between a, a human being that's broken and needing help and the love and the light of Jesus just saying, yeah, baby. Yeah, man, come on. Let's do this together. I got you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm, we got this. This is what Jesus is saying. First Peter 3.21, the water in Noah's flood is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. And we're about to pray right now, and everybody's going to have a clean conscience. And he's like, you're like, well, wait a minute. I haven't fixed those mistakes yet. That's okay. You're not going to have a clean conscience eternally because you've fixed your mistakes. That would be like you climbing up on the pole and getting up on the pole yourself. You don't do that because Jesus got on the pole for you. Because you look to him, because you put your eyes on him, he comes in and re organizes and cleanses and and just gives you that clean conscience a response to God from a clean conscience it is effective because Jesus rose from the dead the resurrection of Jesus Christ acts 22 why don't you stand to your feet right now acts 22:14 the god of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak for you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. I love this. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Promised land. Have your sin washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Some of you have already signed up to be baptized. I love this row right here. This row is so exciting to me. She's, she, she's not even waiting. She's like, I'm first. I love that. I love that. If you know you want to be baptized, uh, you just head that way as soon as I'm done praying. If you, if you did not sign up and you want to get, here, bring me that bag. I want to make sure you all know this. Some of you all have seen me do this before, but if you're brand new, ouch. These are the stuff we have for you. We have a towel for you to dry off with. That's helpful, right? Some of you didn't bring clothes. We have modest clothing for you uh, to wear, a shirt that says, I have decided. You can take that home with you. And you're like, yeah, but what, what about after? Well, we got that taken care of as well. And these are brand new, and we don't want them back. So you can, this is a free gift for you. We got hair dryers in there. We got Q-tips. We got detangler. Man, we got everything in here. Hair brets and ties and spray-on deodorant and makeup remover. Some of y'all are going to be crying and look scary, and we're going to help you <laughs> not be scary anymore. Come on. So we got everything taken care of. We're going to give you a baggie. As soon as I'm done praying, anybody that wants to get one of those bags and go get ready to get baptized, there's time for you to get baptized today. But let's bow our heads right now. Let's go to God in prayer, and let's give him this moment clearly and cleanly.
Would you just pray a simple prayer with me right now? Heavenly Father, please forgive me of my sin. I surrender to you right now. Come on, tell him. I can't pray this for you, but you can pray it for yourself right now. I surrender my life to you right now, Jesus. Please forgive me of my sin. I put my eyes on you. I trust you, Jesus. I put my faith in you. From this moment forward, I want to walk with you, God. Teach me your ways. Show me your ways. Convict me of my sin. Encourage me in the dark times. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I make myself available and open to the power of your Holy Spirit. Come now and fill me, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. In every part of my life, I welcome you. In the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget we want to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Promised Land San Marcos, on Instagram at PSM Church, or on our website, psmchurch.com. Thanks again for listening to the Promised Land at Home podcast.